This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture lesson this morning is, is, tells a story about a time when a Pharisee named Simus, Simon invited Jesus uh, to his house for a meal. And it's taken from Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Shall we pray together? Father God, you have given us a beautiful Sunday morning to praise your name. We stand amazed at your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We know that we do not stand here in our own merits, for we are just like this sinful woman. We are sinners ourselves. We have done nothing to earn or to draw your attention upon us. We have nothing in our hands. We simply come because you have been gracious. You have been compassionate. You have been loving. You have been forgiving. Lord, thank you for the very fact that our debt has been canceled. 
And so, Lord, knowing that we have this standing with you, knowing that we have been called to be your children, we thank you for that wonderful privilege, the opportunity that we have to roll up our sleeves, to use the spiritual enablements with which we have been endowed, to seek the opportunities all around us every day to extend your compassion, your love, your grace to a needy world and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we are so thankful that in the context of this local church, as imperfect as we are, you have showered your grace upon us for all of these many, many decades. It is our privilege, Lord, to serve you. We thank you for the ministries, the programs, the workers, the people working in unsung ways, the people who get little attention but are so faithful to the tasks. And having said that, Lord, we think of one of our brothers whom we have lost, who epitomized what it meant to be a changed person. As we remember Ed Thomas's life on Saturday, and as we ask that you would surround Blanche, Missy, and the other members of Ed's extended family with your kindness and grace, we thank you for the privilege of that we have to celebrate a life well lived. For Ed himself was one who by his own confession and admission needed the grace of God and received and accepted and embraced that love and compassion and forgiveness. And what he knew was true in his mind, he also knew needed to be true in his heart. And then Ed not only accepted and embraced your love and grace, but he served, served so faithfully in quiet and yet consistent in meaningful ways, wanting to be a beacon of your compassion your, and, your, and your grace and love to those that he came in contact with outside of the church and within the context of the church. And so, Lord, we count it a privilege to celebrate his life next weekend, and we just pray that he would uh, allow many to be here to do just that. We continue to ask your blessing upon our church and all who are going through times of distress and discouragement. May they find consolation and peace from you. And Father, as Aaron comes and shares the word with us, may you give to him nothing more nor nothing less than what you have given him to say. May he say to us and to our hearts all that you have given him to say that we might be encouraged and strengthened and motivated and live lives that are grateful for your wonderful blessings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. As we look at the text, I'm, I'm drawn to something that is actually pretty amazing. It's a story of a woman who was known to be a sinner. And yet she took with boldness to come and thank her Lord. You know, as a little boy, I, I grew up in a home where we were constantly being reminded as children in the household that we were to say thank you. We were to look people in the eye and to make sure that people knew that we were thankful for them and for the way that they bestowed grace and love towards us. But I would say it was in 2002 not relatively all that long ago, just some 20 years ago, 
that no one had to tell me to say thank you because I couldn't help but be thankful. It was in the fall of 2002 that I had just moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was beginning my seminary studies as a full-time RTS student. I was there alone because Amanda and I were engaged, but we weren't married yet, and she was still here in the Downriver area. And I decided upon arrival there that one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to drive downtown, and I wanted to see Charlotte. And as I began to take the journey and my eyes were captivated by the tall buildings and the, and the huge football field, all of a sudden I could see out of the corner of my eye that a semi was blowing through a solid red light and heading towards me. In a moment of panic, I quickly hit my foot to the brake thinking that maybe I would stop short of the semi and he would just pass by in front of me, but that was to no avail. I experienced the full impact of that semi who then threw my car into a bus that was heading in the opposite direction. And needless to say, my truck was totaled. But the most amazing thing was I actually walked from that wreckage. I remember the policeman who was on scene, he was astounded as he looked at my car, and yet he looked at me and he said, man, you're lucky. To which I said, there was no luck about it. I knew who was protecting me. No one had to tell me that day to be thankful. Tears running down my cheeks as I realized my death could have been imminent, and yet my Savior protected me. See, Scripture tells us in 1 John 4.19 that we love because He first loved us. That's an important point that I think oftentimes we forget. We're actually motivated to love. Our response is love because of the love that God bestows upon us. See, as we look at our text, and Pastor Ian read the story, as you hear that story, you realize that the great umbrella that, that canopies this story is the story of the great commandment. Command, great commandment, which Jesus stated, is loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. See, as you understand the great commandment and the privilege we have to love God because he first loved us, it should ooze from us to love both him and our neighbor. Yet in our text, there's this sharp contrast the first contrast we see is a contrast between a Pharisee and a sinful woman. In verse 36, we're told that the text opens with an invitation. This Pharisee asked Jesus to eat with him. Now, for those of us who understand how wicked and evil the Pharisees were, how prideful they were, how arrogant, how judgmental they were. We should be astounded that the holy God would be willing to go to the house of a Pharisee, a sinner. Yet this was Jesus' cause all the way through the Gospels, to be identified with sinners, to sit with them, to spend time with them. What's ironic is that, well, Jesus knew he was sitting with 
a sinner. The very sinner didn't recognize himself as such. Now understand that the dinner party that Jesus would have been invited to in those days would have been an outdoor affair, not indoors. And as it would have been outdoors, there would have been a courtyard in the home of this great Pharisee. And Jesus and all the invited guests would have been lounging on couches with their feet extended and their arms towards the table. But the public, those passing by, were welcome to come and to stand in the outer edges. They could listen to the great conversations of the wise one, the important ones. They could hear the discussions of those around the table. See, the way Philip Riken describes what's taking place here, it was more like a block party than a private dinner party. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that what was happening is people were coming and going, but there at the table were the special people. And Jesus had been invited by this Pharisee. But why? The Pharisee had no deep love for Jesus. But maybe he was questioning like Nicodemus. Maybe he was looking for answers. Or maybe it was simply to trap Jesus. To hear Jesus say something that he could accuse Jesus of. We don't know why. But one thing clearly that the text demonstrates is that Jesus was not honored when he entered the home of this Pharisee. You have to skip down quite a few verses to gather this, but in verses 45 and 46, Jesus makes it clear that upon entering the Pharisee's house, his feet were never washed, as would have been custom. For you must remember that the roads were filthy they were dusty, and remember, they had animals for transportation, not cars. So it was customary to wash the feet of your guests before they entered your house. But Jesus never received any foot washing. Nor did Jesus ever receive any type of anointing upon his head as being an honored guest. No, in fact, Jesus never even received the welcome kiss which was customary for a student to kiss the hand of a master out of reverence and respect. Now, when Jesus came, it was almost like the Pharisee turned his back and says, you know where everything's at. Just make yourself comfortable. See, from this, we could infer that the Pharisee has Jesus there not as a guest, but as an opportunity to test and expose Jesus. Friends, how many people set out to do that very thing, to test Jesus? Especially in our culture today, where Jesus is almost only used as a cuss word. He's disrespected in every respect. But in the end, we're told in Revelation, Jesus wins. We're told that Jesus will expose every enemy of his. This story explains that that's exactly what happens. For Jesus wins. Friends, as you look at this story, you see the story focuses in the beginning on a Pharisee who invites Jesus, but quickly the story changes as a sinful woman appears. Notice the word, behold. Verse 37, behold, a woman from the city, a sinful woman. She appears. 
Now, the only thing we know about her, we don't know her name, we don't know why she's called a sinful woman, but she's notorious for being a sinner. In our text alone, verses 36 through 50, some three times we're told that she is a sinner. We're told that by Luke, the author, in verse 37. We're told that she's a sinner by the Pharisee in verse 39. And friends, we're even told by Jesus in verse 47 that she is a deep sinner. Friends, don't miss this. The point is that the woman was regarded sinful by all, even herself. Friends, we live in a time when people believe the only one who can judge them, the only one who can place a standard over them, is themselves. Yet the Bible makes it clear that God's word is the standard, and by that word, all humanity will be judged. But this sinful woman, she knew who she was. And upon learning that Jesus' presence was at this dinner party, she garnered up the the courage to place herself in a place where others would mock her or scorn her or mistreat her, and she went there for one purpose, to honor Christ. Notice when she arrives, she doesn't arrive empty-handed. She arrives with a jar of perfume. She went with purpose. She went with intentionality. Her purpose was to honor Christ. We see, as it's described in the text, that she stands at Jesus' feet. Friends, I don't know about you, but there have been a few times in my life when being so caught up with emotion, not even a word was spoken. It was just seeing the individual. That one time that I remember was when my dad had returned home from Alabama after having open-heart surgery. Upon seeing him, I was moved with such emotion, tears rolling down my cheeks. I was just so compelled to love him. I understand that's exactly how this woman felt. As she stood at the feet of Jesus, she began to weep. And wetting Jesus' feet with her tears, she did something that was absolutely forbidden. She uncovered her hair. And she used her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. First of all, I want to stress to you what an act of humility. She didn't ask for a towel. She didn't even use her own dress. No, what she used was her own hair, saying, I'm not worthy of his love and his grace. The friends understand this would have been a big deal in that culture. For the culture, according to the Talmud, explained that a man could in fact divorce his wife if she exposed her hair to another man. So for her to do this was a big deal. And yet there she is, and we see here in the text, not only wiping his feet with her hair, but she begins to kiss his feet. Not with one kiss, but with many kisses, continuing on in kissing his feet, the love she had for Jesus. And then we're told she anoints his feet with that expensive perfume she brought with the intentionality of honoring Christ. As you can imagine, her actions caught the attention of everyone. Everyone. 
But friends, I ask you to look, that as we look at her actions, we notice a few things. We see she came prepared. She intentionally came to celebrate Jesus. How many of us actually are intentional in worshiping and celebrating Jesus? I say this to the younger generation all the time. Don't just worship God by mistake. Prepare for worship on Saturday rather than expect that you can pack your Saturday full and be wide awake to worship Jesus on Sunday. But she wasn't just prepared, she was overwhelmed with emotion regarding Jesus. Friends, she she was truly moved by who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. And she was willing to humble herself before Jesus. Friends, as we look at these descriptions of this woman, it forces us to ask, what about us? Are we prepared? Are we overwhelmed? Are we coming humbly before Jesus to honor him? Friends, see, the reason that many scholars believe that she was ready to do this was that she had already engaged the grace of God. She had already heard the message of Jesus somewhere else, and her heart had already been broken that hard, callous heart that was engaging in sinful exploits that all the city knew about had been transformed by the message of Jesus, the message of his grace. And she sought a way to respond in gratitude. As Paul says in Colossians 2.7, she was abounding in thanksgiving. But how about us? This is great that there's a story in the Bible about a sinful woman who responds to the grace of God in gratitude. But what about us? How are we affected by the grace of God? That God himself should come down to earth, taking on human flesh to die for not everyone else's sin, but our sin. How does that affect us? How does it change us? How are we then left to show gratitude to him? Let me tell you, there are many in the room that saw this woman and her actions, but were specifically drawn back to the Pharisee who sees the display of the sinful woman and judgments ooze from him. He's not happy about what took place. No, he sees the, the woman and he actually says in his own heart, this kind of woman. This kind of woman. He's almost astounded that that she would have the audacity to come to his house, his party, and present herself. Maybe he was upset because she exposed her hair. Maybe he was upset because she was disrupting his party and all the questions he wanted to ask Jesus. But more than likely, he was just very disgusted by her very presence. Her, a sinner, this kind of woman, here in my presence? Friends, I draw your attention that he not only judged the woman, he also judges Jesus. Notice what he says. He says, if this man were a prophet, notice the phrase, if. The word if, if this man, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. 
See, the Pharisee's thoughts are now exposed. His bias comes out. Friend, could you imagine if our thoughts were exposed? See, our thoughts say a lot about who we really are, especially our thoughts about others. Before we judge the Pharisee, maybe we all better take some stock about our own thoughts, our own judgments. Imagine if the people knew our thoughts. Well, friends, God does know. The Pharisee didn't recognize Jesus as anyone special. If, if this man, he's just a mere man to the Pharisee. He doesn't recognize him as a prophet, and he surely does not recognize him as God. See, the problem with the Pharisee was he had too high view of himself and too low a view of Christ and others. Friends, those who are affected by grace are self-aware. Obviously, the Pharisee had not been affected by the grace of God. For those who have been affected by grace know they are sinners in need of a Savior. Those who've been affected by the grace of God know that Christ is that Savior. God himself took on human flesh to enter the world for what purpose but to die for sinners. Those who have been affected by grace know who their neighbors are. And they know that their neighbors need to be loved. But not this man. No, as a teacher of the law, the Pharisee may may have been able to quote the law a whole bunch, but the reality is he didn't understand it. He wasn't moved by it. See, the problem with this Pharisee is he misses the point of the law. He misses the teaching of the great commandment that we're to love God with all we have and we're to love our neighbor as we wish to be loved ourselves. So church, I ask you, what about you? What do your thoughts of others say about you? What do they tell of your understanding of the grace you need? The sinner you are. The Savior Christ is to you. The way you stock up against all of the rest of humanity. Do you view yourself as better Or do you understand yourself as one in need? See, while the Pharisee judges, Jesus begins to rebuke. Jesus interrupts the man's thoughts. And Jesus says, may I I tell you a story? And then Jesus begins to tell the story of a banker who had two debtors, one who owed him 500 and the other who owed him 50. Now understand, 500 denarii would have basically been about a two years worth of wages. And one who owed him 50, which was about a month's worth of wages. And Jesus asked the Pharisees, he asked them this question, he says, in canceling both their debt, the one who owed 500 and the one who owed 50, Who will be most grateful? Who will love him more? To which the Pharisee quickly responds, I guess the one who has been forgiven more. Doesn't take a mathematician to answer that question. But then Jesus 
shows the contrast. Jesus then looking and seeing the woman, he points her out to the Pharisee and he says, do you see this woman? Knowing all the while the Pharisee's been busy judging her, he says, do you see this woman? Here's the contrast. She has, but you have not. She has washed my feet with her tears, but you have not washed my feet. She has anointed my feet with perfume, and you've not even anointed my head with oil. She has not ceased from kissing my feet, and you never even greeted me with a kiss. See, Jesus' point is, she's thankful for me, but you are not. She loves me, but you do not. Even though you invited me to the party. But what was your real purpose of inviting me to the party anyway? Friends, isn't that a question we should all ask ourselves? Why is it we desire Christ? Is it a heart filled with gratitude and love? Or is it that we view Jesus as more a genie in a bottle who just gives us what we want when we rub the jar the right way? See, this rebuke by Jesus calls all of us to ask some very deep questions. How do I show my love for Jesus? What place does Jesus have in my worship? Is he the greatest joy in my life? What place does Jesus even have in my life? But then Jesus makes a declaration, not to the Pharisee, but to the sinner, the sinful woman, the one who identified, self-identified as a sinner. Jesus makes this declaration. He says in verse 48 and in verse 50, he says, you are forgiven, go in peace. The church understand, this declaration by Jesus is a testimony of the work of God's grace in the woman's heart. It's displayed by her gratitude. She wasn't saved and forgiven because she did these things for Jesus. She did these things for Jesus because she had already been forgiven. But then you ask, why does Jesus say it again? You're forgiven. Well, first, he's offering her reassurance. How many Christians need reassurance at some point in their walk of the forgiveness of Jesus? We all do. Because we all sin. But Jesus also, by this declaration, is revealing his deity. He's making sure that everyone at that party recognizes who he is. For he is God, and only God can forgive sin. Well, this then forces the people to ask a question. Who is this? Who is this that even forgives sins? Now, understand, Luke never says that the people who asked that question believed. They just simply came to an understanding of the issue before them. That if Jesus is saying your sins are forgiven, he must be claiming deity. Whether or not they believe that, we're never given the answer, but it's clear to the point that they understood what Jesus was declaring. And see, that same issue is before us. 
Who is it that alone can forgive sin? According to Scripture, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We can't save ourselves. We all need Christ. This is why he came. Paul says to young Timothy, My saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world for what purpose? To save sinners. Jesus didn't come to be an example. Merely. Jesus didn't come just to, to, to fix a couple of things and Head out. Jesus came to give us a whole new identity, a whole new life, a whole new creation is what we are told in Second in Corinthians that we've been made to be. And if we know of the forgiveness of Christ, how should we respond? But the only appropriate way to respond is an absolute gratitude by loving Christ with all we have and loving our neighbors as we ourselves want to be loved. So church, I ask you, do you know the forgiveness of Christ? As you sit here this morning, do you need the reassurance Christ can offer? Look to him. And Jesus is loving. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is gentle. Throughout scripture, Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary. Has sin held you down? Has the shame and the guilt of sin kept you captive? Run to Jesus. See, we all must answer, how are we responding to Jesus' declaration? Friends, in our text this morning, we've been reminded of the importance of gratitude. As recipients of grace, there is much to be thankful for. In Christ, we have received God's mercy and forgiveness. And therefore, we should respond in genuine love and great appreciation, not just a, thanks, Jesus, but a true life-altering, humbling, coming before him with all we have. This is the type of thankfulness that is required to be honest before Christ. Honest about our need of Jesus. Honest about admitting our sinfulness. Honest, honest about recognizing that Jesus alone is Savior. And so as we read this story, we're confronted with a comparison. A comparison of two sinners. One who understood themselves to be a sinner and is thankful for the grace Jesus offers. And the other, a Pharisee, who is prideful and never truly understood himself to be in need of Jesus and therefore was never truly thankful. Friend, which are you? My prayer is that each of us would be able to respond like the psalmist who said, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad to exalt you. I will sing praise to your name. For you are most high. Let's pray. Father, as we close we are our Bibles, as we step away from this text, God, I pray the conviction and comparison that comes as we look at a Pharisee who does not view himself in need of Jesus, 
and a woman who is living out a life of thanks. I pray, God, that we are confronted about where we stand. God, I pray that we would be humble enough to admit our need. That, Lord, if we need reassurance, we would run to Christ for that reassurance. But, Lord, if we've never made sure where we stand with Christ, if, like the Pharisee, we've been around religion a long time, we may even know a thing or two, but we have never truly bowed our knee to Christ, may that happen today. May we truly be moved by your compassionate, loving, careful grace. And may our hearts be filled with gratitude. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.